From the great state of Ohio, Buckeye Firearms Association presents Keep and Bear Radio, fighting for Second Amendment rights, calling out media lies, and telling the gun grabbers to come and take it. Now, Keep and Bear Radio. What force of law do no-gun signs actually have? Can an officer legally take your gun during a routine traffic stop? What's the difference between concealed carry and firearm transportation? Are there any laws at all for open carry? How hard is it to remove convictions from your record so you can restore your gun rights? These are just a few of the questions we'll answer on this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. I'm Dean Reek, Executive Director of Buckeye Firearms Association, and I'm joined by Sean Maloney, attorney and firearm law expert. Hi, Sean. Welcome to the podcast. Dean, it's great to be back. So, Sean, what have you been up to? How many how many speeding tickets have you gotten since last time we talked? Have you been on a safari? I mean, you always have something going on. What's happening? I've been traveling a little bit, but uh, either the police aren't paying attention or I'm not traveling as fast as I usually do because I, I haven't been pulled over and asked to slow down at all. Uh, and I haven't had the opportunity to uh, to go through my uh, routine of what to do as a concealed carry holder when I get pulled over. You're just getting older, Sean. Yeah, Sean, it's just it's just age. You're slowing down. Yeah, it could be it too. Uh, how about that safari? Did you go on that yet, or is that still yeah, coming up? Yeah, I, I did that uh, in the past, a few years ago, but my friends have those planned, and I just haven't been able to, to pull the trigger. I thought, you, go out. I thought you had another one coming up. Yeah, I, I do, but COVID kind of put the kinks in that. And, uh, then I decided to, to go back home to, to Pennsylvania. I, too, am from Appalachia, America, like you are, and so I tried to head home, and, and my uncles want me to go deer hunting with them in Pennsylvania, so... Instead of going to Colorado, I'm heading back to PA. So you're going to give COVID to the deer? Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, Sean, uh, I know you're you're heading to Pennsylvania again. I'm not sure that they have Meyer stores out there, but uh, you know there are a bunch of Meyer stores here in Ohio, and we've been hearing about them because in the past few months they've put up these weird blue no gun signs. It happened right after they remodeled all their stores and shortly after we passed constitutional carry or permitless carry here in Ohio. We contacted them and asked, you know, what are these signs all about? Because they didn't have any words on them. They were just like a big blue sticker on the door, had a picture of a some sort of generic handgun with a line through it. And they told us that's just about open carry. We don't want people open carrying. Well, I think some people contacted the store. Those stickers seem to have come down. And then there's a brand new sticker, real small, maybe like three inches across, that has appeared at the bottom of the door with a bunch of other stuff, like with Western Union stickers, uh, stickers for the post office and and other things. And it's a weird sticker because on the top it says, smoke-free environment with a line through a cigarette. And then it says open carry prohibited with a line through a gun. So I was just going to ask you about that, Sean. Can Meyer prohibit open carry exclusively? Yes, they can. They can prohibit that exclusively. 
But remember, they're still required to conspicuously post the sign. And also, uh, the state of Ohio doesn't make it mandatory, but they say that they should contain language or a statement that's substantially following unless otherwise authorized by law. Pursuant to the higher advice code, no person shall knowingly possess or have under the person's control convey or attempt to convey, convey a deadly weapon. So a sign at the bottom of the door mixed in with all those other stickers that you showed me, and I would argue that that doesn't even come close to conveying the message that the Ohio Revised Code suggests that you convey. But even if they say that language isn't required by the Ohio Revised Code, that is by far uh, a conspicuous posting of a sign. And certainly I wouldn't notice it, and I can't imagine anybody else would unless you stopped, dropped your wallet, and bent over to pick it up, and you would see it at the bottom. But I'm not sure, uh, generally speaking, while they're doing that, uh, certainly because of constitutional carry or permitless carry, they're not, they're not banning the uh, uh, concealed carry of firearms. I think probably if they did that now, they wouldn't have any more customers, but just the open carry of firearms. And I think uh, people open carrying are making uh, stores more nervous and people surrounding more nervous. So they probably are doing that just to, uh, to relieve uh, some of the consternation of shoppers shopping next to somebody that's open carrying. That's all I can figure out. But I don't think what we've talked about and what you have showed me is really enforceable. And remember, folks, you have to knowingly violate it. See that sticker and say, I'm going in. And then they have to prove that you knowingly did it. So the sticker, though, this new sticker, the old sticker was not quite at eye level, but, you know, you could see it because it's right in the middle of the door. This new little blue sticker is at the bottom mixed in with a bunch of others. I barely saw it. I was going into a mire, and I sort of, you know, saw something out of the corner of my eye. I went back outside had to look through the stickers, and, and there it was. I, I don't think that's conspicuous if it's at foot level and it's mixed in with a, a message about smoking. So I, I would imagine most people are going to miss that. That that sounds like they're just trying to do a legal thing. Like they're not really uh, trying to warn people. They're just, they want to be able to say, yeah, we have a sticker on the door. Well, I've said that many times before that some attorney someplace in the corporate headquarters said, boy, we better post that. And so they do it and either the manager or it's the, it's, they've just decided we'll put it where it's not conspicuously posted and really can't be enforced. Certainly what you describe is not conspicuous. Conspicuous is you don't really have to look left or right. You grab the door, you walk there and it's right there. You don't have to look for it because no one's expected to sit there and search for, for a no gun sign. So certainly it's not conspicuously posted and probably you feel the same way that they were just told to post the sign and, who wants to post a sign that's going to, especially if you're a manager and your job is dependent upon sales, you want to keep, what, three quarters of your customer base now in the parking lot and shopping someplace else? So let's talk about enforcement because you said that these may not be enforceable. Just with no gun signs in general, we get a lot of questions about this. What force of law does that actually have in Ohio right now? So in other words, if I see a no gun sign, and I go ahead and I go in anyway, what can the owner of that property do? What's the penalty for carrying in a posted location? Well, we have different kind of posted locations. We're going to have the uh, prohibited areas like courtrooms, uh, uh, courthouses, hospitals, and things like that. Then we're going to have areas that can be posted like churches, daycare centers, and different places like that. Then we can have parking lots uh, and civil areas like stores, and offices and in people's homes. 
dealing with posted there, but let's talk about uh, the Meyer store. Uh, when you're posted at the Meyer store, the first thing they can do, obviously, if someone is open carrying, let's say there, since the sign says no open carrying, and they notice that, they can walk up and say, you know, we have a sign posting against open carry. We need you to leave. And then turn around and say, as a law-abiding gun owner, say, thank you very much, turn around and leave. And then make the decision whether you want to go back or not. Uh, and at that point in time, they've asked you to leave because, remember, you, they have to prove that you knowingly violated that sign. And short of, yeah, I saw your stupid sticker, and I ignored your stupid sticker, and I'm staying here, that's the only way they can really knowingly prove anything. Uh, so knowingly is the key here, uh, and they can ask you to leave, and, and you should leave. And actually, if you're a concealed carry holder, and you're in Kroger, and someone notices, even though you're allowed to conceal carry in, hope, in Kroger, if an employee sees your gun and asks you to leave, you know, you leave. It doesn't matter what the sign says, uh, you know, that's, that's the law, you leave. So when you see a sign like that, uh, they have to have it conspicuously posted. And then the key, the key words are knowingly. You have to knowingly violate that. And that means you made a conscious decision. You saw the sticker and you're going to go in anywhere and you don't care. And then uh, if they choose to, they can file a civil action against you, which ends up being a misdemeanor. So that's... But again, you're not going to get convicted until they prove that you knowingly violated it. And they don't, and until Dr. Spock or Mr. Spock comes in and does the mind meld on you and determines that you knowingly violated it, they can't convict you of anything. And I've always said I have yet to hear of anybody that's been convicted of violating one of those no-gun stickers. So it's just they, they can ask you to leave and you have to refuse to leave. And, they, and then they have to prove that you actually knew that you were violating the no-gun sign. So right. the, the so risk is actually... They ask you to leave. When they ask you to leave, you have to leave, according to the law. Okay. And then if they decide to, to, to charge you or to sue you civilly, then the burden of proof is that you knowingly violated it, which is a tough standard. Okay. All right. So what we're going to do in this podcast, I should probably have said this at the top of the podcast, we're, we're going to try to answer some questions that people have had. We get questions all the time. And this uh, Meyer thing was one of the things that people were contacting about, like, you know, what the heck is this? What does it mean? What do these signs mean? And we have a bunch of other types of questions that I want to clear up with you since you're the legal expert. So we've talked about no gun signs and uh, private property owners posting. Another uh, question we get a lot is traffic stops. And this happened right after the permitless carry bill passed, SB 215, and people started asking us questions about, well, can you still carry concealed in your car? Can an officer take your gun? Things like this. So let's just move through this. Let's assume that you're pulled over. And Sean, I know you have a lot of experience being pulled over by police. Is there anything different now with the new law? If you're carrying permitless, you can still carry concealed in your vehicle, correct? Correct. The only thing that's changed regarding concealed carry in, in a motor vehicle is that you no longer are required to promptly inform the police officer that you're carrying. Only if they ask you if you have a firearm are you required to answer. But nothing has changed. We still follow the same laws in 29-23-12 regarding concealed carry of a firearm uh, in, in a motor vehicle. Nothing's changed at all whatsoever except the improvement that we, we no longer are required to promptly inform the police officer or law enforcement has to ask you if you have a firearm, and then you, you need to affirmly answer the truthfully. And we've gotten some questions, and I'm not sure where this is coming from, about, 
you know, can an officer take your gun during the stop? Uh, and I, I don't mean permanently taking it. I mean just, you know, taking it off your person during the stop and then giving it back to you. I, I'm not sure where this comes from, whether there was an incident in the news, but we got several questions about that. So if you're stopped, if you're just pulled over for some routine thing, can an officer request that you hand over your gun during that stop? Yes, under Ohio Revised Code 2923.12, which is the, the concealed carry provision of the Ohio Revised Code, nothing has changed from since this law was passed uh, in 2004. The police officer can ask uh, if you're carrying a firearm, you say yes, they can, they can ask for possession of that firearm during the duration of the stop. Now, they have to return it to you immediately after that stop, but for whatever reason, if they fail to return it to you and you need to hire somebody like me to get your gun back, and you successfully get your gun back, uh, then they have to pay your attorney's fees also. And so that provision is still in there. So those provisions that were in the original law dealing with concealed carry have not changed. You can carry the same way, and the police officers can ask you. Now, probably 10 or 15 years ago, I did hand my firearm over to a female uh, state of Ohio patrolman outside of Dayton, Ohio, and when she asked me for it, that was the only time I've ever been asked. And most police departments that I've spoke at uh, and that, I, that I've talked with, they no longer uh, advise their officers to do that. They don't want to touch the guns. Accidents happen. Problems happen. And so generally speaking, they're not going to ever do that. But they can, in fact, do that if they so choose. So now what happens if an officer doesn't understand the new law? And this was a concern I had because we were hearing about sheriff's offices and some police departments that had some pretty bad misunderstandings about this new law. I know it takes time for people to get up to speed. And I was warning people, look, don't assume that you're going to carry permitless and everyone's going to be on the same page on day one. But just for for practical purposes, what do you do if you're pulled over and an officer just doesn't, doesn't understand it? Their department didn't do a good job. They don't understand that you can carry permitless. And it looks like you're going to kind of get messed up in something here. How do you handle that with the officer? You know, you would think that everybody would know, but uh, the attorney general's office sends out uh, uh, memos and information concerning it. I'm sure there's hot sheets dealing with changes of law and police officers uh, try to keep up abreast of that. But laws, especially dealing with firearms, change so often that you may get a a police officer. You may get a special deputy that's not a full-time officer. You may get somebody that that stuffed the uh, hot sheet in the glove compartment and really hasn't read it. And it, just like the advice I used to give uh, before and still give, I've, get, I've always given the same advice. At 2 o'clock in the morning on the side of a road isn't where you, you make the argument that the officer is not doing things right. If you want to comply with all lawful orders, uh, and even if they're, they're confused with the law, you don't want to argue about it now. Save that for a different time. If it ends up in a courtroom or an attorney can make that argument for you, or when the deputy or the police officer gets you to the station and uh, the shift officer says, what are you doing? Why'd you bring him here? And they'll, they'll straighten things up. But certainly there's no sense of getting in any argument uh, over it at that point in time, because really that's a no-win situation. And you have to realize that you never know what just happened to the police officer five minutes before you pulled you over. And, no, and, and if um, they're not clear exactly on the law, uh, on the side of the road, again, isn't the place to, to be arguing with. Most people will know, uh, politely say, officer, the recent laws have changed, and I believe I'm complying with the law, and leave it at that, uh, especially if um, uh, they're going to have cameras on uh, or they're going to be mic'd. So 
really that's not the place for the argument. Not, you know, I know it's going to be hard not to say anything. Believe me, it's difficult. I've been in that position. But you, you just need to wait and have it play out naturally on the side of the road and then take care of things if you have to in the court of law. I know it's, it's a bother. Uh, sometimes it happens like that, but we're human beings. We're imperfect and attacking a police officer uh, for what he thinks is his job, although he doesn't quite understand everything completely, is never a wise thing to do. Right. I think it's important to understand that they're human beings just like we are. Reverse the situation. If you had somebody in your face yelling at you, you're probably not going to react very well to that. They're probably not going to react very well just in the same way. So that would be difficult not to have the argument right there, but you're going to have to just be a little patient and let that uh, play out. And I think a lot of the times what they're really paying attention to is how you're acting. If you act level-headed, you know, that helps them to be more a little level-headed with you. If you're getting all spun up, then they may get all spun up. And then you're going to end up in a really bad situation. You're going to have other charges added on just for the way you respond. Absolutely. And, and it's advice I give, and it's something I will continue to personally do. When I am pulled over, I will immediately inform the police officer that I'm a concealed carry holder and I'm carrying a firearm. And I have it with me, whether uh, I'm a holder or whether I'm carrying it permanently, I'm always going to notify law enforcement. There's no reason not to. It sets everybody at ease and it shows police officers more than anything that I'm a law-abiding citizen and I care about their safety as well as my own. So, Sean, we're talking about vehicles and police and getting pulled over. And there's another thing that people have really been confused about recently. We started getting questions after permitless carry passed about carrying other firearms in the vehicle. So I think people are getting concealed carry and transportation of firearms confused. Can you just outline the difference between those two? Right. With concealed carry license or permitless carry, uh, you're allowed to carry your handgun any manner you want to inside the motor vehicle. In a glove compartment, on a holster, on a magnet, it doesn't really matter. You can lawfully and legally carry it any manner you so choose within the passenger compartment of the motor vehicle, uh, really anywhere within the motor vehicle. And then what I think people are getting confused about is rifles and shotguns. And then we're dealing with the Firearms Owners Protection Act, or FOPA, which says that if you're transporting firearms uh, from point A to point C, and you're allowed to have it at point A, and you're allowed to have it at point C, but maybe point B has laws against it, well, if you have the firearm in, in a trunk or a separate lock container with the ammunition kept separately, then you can lawfully transport that firearm, even though, again, we have a concealed handgun permit or a permitless handgun permit, but we don't have rifle or shotgun permits. Those aren't covered by our concealed handgun permit or our, or our uh, permitless carry permits. So we have to remember that that's different. All we have a right to do is carry our concealed handguns. Now, uh, again, uh, if you have a vehicle, SUV or a minivan that does not have a trunk or a separate compartment, then you need to place a firearm in a lock container with the ammunition separately. If it's in the trunk and you have to get out and get into it, the, the ammunition and uh, firearms still have to be stored separately. So that, that's pretty clear. And, and that's always been the law. Uh, one thing that made it nice was if you were open carrying in the state of Ohio, the moment you got on a motorcycle or stepped inside a motor vehicle, you were now concealed carrying. Even though you had a legal duty or a legal right, so to speak, to uh, permitless carry, it became concealed carry, and you had to have a permit at that point. Well, no, that no longer exists because now we have permitless carry, so you can open carry 
and get into your car legally now. So, so that that's uh, has clarified things immensely. And it is worth pointing out again that our license is a concealed handgun license. It's not a weapons license like a lot of states have. It deals with a handgun only. We actually got somebody asking us a question, can you conceal an AR? And my question to them was, well, can you tell me exactly how you're planning to do that? I I was hoping that they were not going to carry in the waistband because uh, that, that was going to be a little uncomfortable. But uh, so this is our license or, or the permitless carry is handguns only. Correct. Now, there are AR pistols, AR-15 pistols that have an arm brace on them or not, that are pistols that can be concealed, can, can carried concealed inside a passenger compartment using your concealed handgun license. But that's a, that's a whole nother conversation I don't want to have on the side of Interstate 75 of why that's not an AR-15, that's an AR-15 pistol. So again, even though I can lawfully do that, that's one thing that I that I probably will not do. And I'm glad you you keep mentioning uh, carrying with a, a handgun permit with a concealed carry permit. I'm sure you're asked, and I'm asked an awful lot. Well, why do I need my my concealed handgun license anymore in the state of Ohio? Well, you need it for a couple of purposes, and one of my biggest reasons is for carrying within a school safety zone. Uh, now, Ohio law doesn't require you to have a permit when you're carrying in a school safety zone. You can lock the firearm in your automobile, go in and vote and come back out. But according to federal law, you have to be able to immediately prove that you're a qualified individual. And the only way you can do that is with a concealed handgun license from the state you're in when you're on that, when you're on that property. And so that, that's important to know that, uh, that you have a concealed handgun license with reciprocity or from your home state. When you're, when you're on that uh, uh, school safety zone, because under federal law, again, you have to show that you're a qualified individual. State law, not so much. Now, I don't know. I can't, I can't really think of uh, too many situations where the feds are going to be on Lakota High School's parking lot when I'm going to vote, asking to see my concealed carry permit. But that's the law, and that's something I want to point out. For reciprocity, you want to get your concealed handgun license. And if you vote at schools or you have kids in school, you want to make sure that you have that permit uh, to comply with federal law. So we've been talking a lot about concealed carry. Let's talk about open carry now. And my question to you is, are there any laws at all about open carry? I mean, we have all these laws we've been dealing with since 2004 on concealed carry, but what about open carry? Is that in the law at all? Yeah, open carry, uh, Ohio is a traditional open carry state. You don't have to do be anything but a qualifying individual to open carry. So if you can lawfully purchase a gun, uh, possess a gun, then you can lawfully open carry that firearm. Uh, it, it doesn't matter, and that's always been the law. But keep in mind, you can be under the same exact disabilities for concealed carry. For uh, You can't drink and carry and get drunk when you're open carrying a firearm. You can't have a conviction for minor misdemeanor domestic violence and be carrying a open carrying a firearm, uh, but there's some changes if you assault a police officer. You can never conceal carry a firearm again. That's always going to be on your record. You can't you can't expunge that or you can't seal that record. That's always on there, but if you've assaulted a police officer, you can open carry because they make a distinguishing, uh, they distinguish between open carry and concealed carry dealing with uh, certain assault cases. Uh, and, and one thing I always point out, and that's assaulting a police officer, and I know the FOP 
and in other organizations, anti-gun organizations were saying, well, we used to make a lot of arrests for people based on, uh, on under dis- being under disability, and now we can't. Well, sure you can. You're under the same disability whether you have a permit or you don't have a permit. You're open carrying or concealed carrying is, is the same disability. And if they pull you over uh, or, or that they stop you and you're open carrying a firearm, and, and they can still check if, when they, once they get the probable cause or reasonable articulable suspicion to, to run a background check if you're uh, lawfully carrying or carrying under disability. So there are some situations in the state of Ohio where you can legally open carry, but you cannot conceal carry. And, and the one I always point out is uh, assaulting a police officer. And believe me, folks, being a criminal defense attorney for 30 years, you can get charged and convicted for with assaulting a police officer and not even knowing the police officer is the guy trying to grab you. So it, it, it's not as bad as you, as it sounds, but sometimes it is. But if you get convicted of assaulting a police officer, um, then uh, you can never get that, that expunged. And because of that, you can never conceal carry a firearm, but you can open carry it. So just because you can open carry doesn't mean you can conceal carry. And that's confusing. And, and you just need to make sure you consult an attorney to find out for sure you know what you've been convicted of and not convicted of and, and make sure that you know if you can properly carry a firearm and how you can do it. So what about marijuana in Ohio uh, as it regards to open carry? Now, clearly, you know, the, the booklet, if you read the AG's booklet, it says, you know, you can't be in possession of uh, marijuana or any controlled substance. You know, you can't get a license if that's the case, but open carry can you still open carry if you're using marijuana? No, because it's a federal law that you can't you can't own or possess a firearm if you're addicted to, to a scheduled substance like marijuana. In fact, that's probably going to be, I think, the second question on the uh, ATF Form 4473 is, are you an unlawful user or addicted to marijuana? You may have a medical marijuana card. You may be legally using marijuana in the state of Ohio, but if you're uh, under federal law, you, know, you can't own or possess a firearm. Uh, even with your uh, medical marijuana card, nor can you be under the influence of any drugs. Uh, so if they tested your system and you're high, uh, you're high or you're drunk, you're, you're violating the law. So I wrote an article about this a while back telling people that, you know, marijuana and guns just don't mix. There continues to be this confusion about state law versus federal law. In the state of Ohio, I think they just kind of look the other way most of the time. But on the federal level, it's an absolute no-no, and I don't think that they're ever going to change that, even if we fully legalize marijuana in Ohio. You can't have the gun. You can't buy a gun. You can't, you can't even look at a gun. I mean, uh, marijuana just disqualifies you entirely. I'm not sure that that's fair, but until the federal law changes, the, the situation isn't going to change. Now, why is it, why is it Sean, that at the federal level— that they have such a problem with marijuana. I mean, you're not talking about crack or meth or something like this. Why are they so strict about marijuana, which is a pretty low-level drug that's in fairly wide use in the United States? Well, it's still considered to be a controlled substance, number one. So under the Code of Federal Regulations or the United States Code, uh, that's illegal to to possess or or use that. Uh, Whether a doctor tells you to or not, it's still a violation of federal law. And also... Those, that same statute, uh, federal statute, uh, is far-reaching, and so it affects a lot of other things. So if they just get rid of uh, marijuana, then they have to get rid of a lot of other things. And, and let's face it, if you want to look at moneymakers, 
uh, federally and statewide with all the convictions for marijuana convictions, just plain possession or, uh, uh, or paraphernalia, there's a lot of money in it too. And if you start looking at the codes and redoing the code, the federal government, you know, has a prohibition against drugs uh, and they don't, they, they don't have the same uh, low-level distinguishing factor with marijuana versus cocaine or versus Vicodin or, uh, or, or whatever you're taking at the time. It, there, there's really no distinguishing uh, factor between that. Now, maybe down the road, the feds will, will make a determination that, hey, we're going to remove marijuana from a scheduled list, but I don't think the time is going to be anytime soon. I mean, certainly I think they would be trying, but that's something you're not even really trying to do at this point in time. Like I said, you think about um, blowback and collateral uh, damage and everything that goes on. When they start making those changes, there's so many moving pieces dealing with drugs, drug addiction, law enforcement, ATF, uh, drug enforcement, and everything else that, that, uh, that it right now makes more sense for the federal government to leave the laws the way they are. And maybe they turn, they'll turn their heads and they'll look the other way, dealing with uh, uh, medical marijuana or even states that have uh, recreational marijuana. But as soon as you violate federal law, I promise you, that's going to be on the, on the list of the charges against you. Just because they're not going to enforce it uh, on a statewide level, they're not going to go out and actively enforce that. As soon as you violate some other crime, they're going to throw that on, on there with everything else. So if you have something on your record, and you're, this is what's called a disability. You, you're not allowed to possess a firearm or perhaps you can't carry. How do you get that removed from your record? Do, I mean, I assume you have some clients who have done something that's on their record way from the past. They're no longer doing it. They're a good upstanding citizen now. How can they get some of those things removed? There's a couple mechanisms that Ohio law provides that will allow us to do that. Uh, one is the restoration of civil rights. If you've been convicted of a felony uh, under federal law, you're under a federal firearms disability, you can get a restoration of rights where you have a hearing in a common police court, generally where you're living, but certainly where the conviction occurred, you can do that and show that you're a law-abiding citizen. It's almost like an expungement, and uh, and they can, they can grant you your civil rights back. And I always point out to people that a lot of people, the judge is going to say, you know, Mr. Maloney, You've uh, completed your community control. You're no longer on probation. Uh, uh, you're once again a free United States citizen. That doesn't mean you have your firearms rights. I, I represent dozens of people every year who are told that they have their rights back, and so they start carrying a gun again. Well, number one, uh, before June 13th, you had to have a permit to do that. But number two, just because the judge says that doesn't make it automatically so. You have to have a separate legal action and get a restoration of civil rights dealing with firearms. Or your attorney can expunge the record, which means that like it's never even happened, or seal the record so uh, nobody can get in there and take a look at it. And when you seal the record, even though the ATF may know that that conviction is in there, and ordinarily you would still be a prohibited person, once the record's sealed, uh, there's nothing you can do about it. It's like it never happened. So uh, restoration of civil rights, and then sealing the record. I always tell people the easiest way to do it and the cheapest way to do it, it really, and, and most effective way, is just to seal the record because uh, a lot of times when people get a restoration of rights, that's in there, but the ATF still sees that. And every time they go to buy a firearm, we have to do an, a NICS appeal and explain to them what's going on or apply for a, a UPIN number so they can buy a firearm 
I always say the easiest, cleanest way to do it, if it can be done, is just seal the record. Then uh, nothing else has to be done. You don't have to spend the extra money to do a restoration of rights, and that's the easiest way to do it. So there are avenues to do that. And I always tell people, please don't assume that you can never carry a firearm again. You won't believe the number of people that come into my office and say, hey, I can never own a firearm again. There's something you can do about it. And I said, well, why do you think you can never own a firearm again? And nine times out of 10, they can own a firearm and they could have been doing it for the 20 years. They've been sitting there thinking that they can't. So make sure you talk to an attorney if you think you're under a firearms disability, because there's very specific reasons that you're under a firearms disability. And a lot of people aren't, even though they think they are. What are some of the most common disabilities that you run across? I mean, what what is it that happens to people that tend to create these kind of problems most often? Uh, any drug convictions, most drug convictions, almost no matter what they are, uh, the key is, can you be sentenced to more than one year in jail? Can you legally be sentenced to a year and a day in jail? It doesn't matter whether you've ever spent one minute in jail. If you could have been sentenced to over one year in jail, well, you're under a federal firearms disability. And so a lot of people have a conviction, a drug paraphernalia conviction, for example, and uh, uh, they could have been sentenced to a, a year and a day, but they weren't. They didn't do any time. And uh, so they're under a firearms disability and just didn't realize it. Again, uh, they serve their time if they did have any community service and they have their civil rights back. So they think they have their civil rights back. Or they got a uh, minor misdemeanor conviction for domestic violence in 1947. And... Uh, and we're paying attention when the Lautenberg Amendment passed in the 1990s, and they can never own or possess a firearm. And they have a house full of firearms, and they can't figure out why they went to get a concealed carry permit, and they got denied. And they got turned down. When we, we became NICS compliant in the state of Ohio, a lot of people found out that they, in fact, could, not, could never own or possess a firearm just because of their minor misdemeanor conviction of domestic violence. And those are convictions that, Dean, in the past were no big deal. You went in, you had an argument. Literally, you had a verbal argument with your kids or your wife. No violence whatsoever. You got arrested. You paid for a $35 ticket, and that was it. And and for 30 years, you could buy guns. But then all of a sudden, in an appropriations bill, Lautenberg entered uh, the minor misdemeanor conviction for domestic violence and said, if you have a minor misdemeanor conviction on your record, you can never own or possess a firearm, period. Let's not worry about concealed carry or open carrying. You can never touch one or have one around you. And, and there's a lot of people out there, and there's probably still some out there that have a house full of guns that haven't bought a gun in a while and don't realize that. Well, Sean, thank you for being on the podcast and explaining all of this. These are just some of the questions we get. If any of our listeners have other questions, send them to us. Visit our website at BuckeyeFirearms.org. Make sure you select the category of podcast. That will get the email directly to me. I'll keep track of all these questions and Maybe we'll have Sean back and we'll uh, see if he can answer some of those questions as well. Sean, tell people how they can get a hold of you if they do have a legal matter that they want you to deal with. Uh, you can email me at sean at secondcalldefense.org uh, or my cell phone is 513-484-0142. My office direct line is 513-463-0073. Call me on either line and, and I will get a hold of you and, and, and answer your questions uh, if I can. And then uh, and I can advise you of, of what to do and, and send you in the right direction. So uh, feel free to keep listening to this podcast. Stay informed because if you stay informed, you stay legal. Sean, thanks again. And we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, Dean.
That's all for this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. If you enjoyed the podcast, I urge you to subscribe. And please subscribe to the Buckeye Firearms Association newsletter at buckeyefirearms.org. If you'd like to become a member and support the work of BFA, go to joinbfa.org. Use the discount code PODCAST to get $10 off your membership. That's joinbfa.org. We'll see you next time on Keep and Bear Radio.